0: Hello and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona during our normal service. is Ron Faust. I am moderator of this congregation, which is a volunteer position. Before this, uh, my church connections were I was a pastor of a Church of the Brethren in Charlottesville, Virginia, and then one in Glendale, Arizona, which moved to Peoria, Arizona while I was there. And then I was pastor at two Mennonite congregations, one in a And as an associate pastor and uh, the second as an interim pastor so uh, welcome to all of you and I'm glad to be here and welcome to those who are are following online let's uh, pause for a moment of prayer God we are grateful for the author of the Gospel of Mark And ask for your blessing as we walk through portions of the Gospel of Mark and maybe another scripture or two. And may we be blessed, but also we ask that you would be glad that we have taken this tour together, that because we have taken this tour together through your word, that we become closer to you as, as your followers. Amen. friend of mine retired pastor was recalling preparing for an Easter sermon years ago this is called an early wisdom she had as I recall just turned nine the occasion my preparation for the Easter Sunday sermon as she passed by my desk I looked up Katie who were the first to come to the tomb and discovered it was empty? The women, she said. Yes, but why the women? She paused then gave her answer. Because women take care of things. Now, that is true. What's also true, it's a little unusual that the authors of these scriptures would recount women as being the first witnesses. This is because back in those days, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. I'm just reporting from a historical perspective that that's the way it was. So it's kind of fascinating to me that in in the Gospels, the women were the first to note. And this gospel, the way, the way it ends, on verse 8, the whole enterprise of the word about Jesus spreading is put at risk. Verse 8 ends that the women were terrified and told no one. And that is the way the gospel of Mark ends. Now, there are verses at the end, 9 through 20, that I think were added later on by people who saw Luke and Matthew and John and thought, you know, this verse 8 ending of Mark doesn't fit very well with the other ones. I think we better extend this a little bit. And uh, in most of your Bibles, it should... Oh. i not pressing it correctly. There we go. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. That should say that in all of your Bibles if you look, if you look at that. And so uh, the earliest manuscripts have it stop at verse 8. So the whole enterprise is at risk. Now, the author of the Gospel of Mark seems to have this urgency about him the uh, Gospel of Mark was written, we think, around 70 A.D. That's close to the time when the first significant persecutions of Christians were happening in Rome. Perhaps Mark had a feeling that he needed to get things on paper in a hurry because he didn't know how much time he had. We're not quite sure. But Mark, more than the other Gospel authors, is fond of the Greek word euthus, which is usually translated immediately. He uses this word 41 times in the gospel. This happened, and then immediately this happened, and then Jesus immediately went here, and wow, there's this urgency and a driving force uh, moving forth the narrative and the feeling that God's activity is just happening all over the place. You may note that Mark misses some other things that are in at least two of the other Gospels, I can guarantee you, for example, that you have never attended a Christmas pageant based on the Gospel of Mark. It is not there. Apparently, Mark didn't feel like he had time to put that in, or maybe he didn't feel it was an, as important as other things. We, we just don't know. There's no Christmas pageants that come out of Mark. So we, um, we come back to the tomb, and rather than the resurrection being a triumph thing that you think would be declared widely, it's more like a rumor. Well, there was this bright angel-like figure that told the women that they should go tell Peter, but they were terrified and said nothing. Wow. Silence. And maybe some of us have the same feeling about being after Easter, that, that wow, we, we just celebrated God's raising Jesus up. Well, now what? What do we do with that, that wonderful news? Is it something we declare widely, Or is it something we stay silent about? Is it something that guides our life, that we look for God's resurrection within each one of us? Or as a a poet I I like says, "Let, let Christ Easter in us. Is that what we look for? Or do we think of Easter as, oh, it's just one more thing after another? In in our tradition, in the church of the brethren, um, let me just go back to Mark. There's a a, uh, scholar who's looked at the the gospel of Mark as a um, dramatic piece. And his feeling is, when it ends at verse 8, with silence, the drama of it throws you back to the beginning to consider it all over again to look at this, the account of Jesus, to consider his teachings and how they might influence your life. And then the high point, the drama a narrative of the gospel, there are two high points, and it didn't have anything to do with the cross and the resurrection. I, the first high point, who do you say that I am? Everything before that is to bring you to a decision about who do you say Jesus is? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he the promise? Is he the promised Messiah? Is he the Son of God? And then shortly after that, there is something that um, an account that has a lot of. Um, importance for the tradition of the Church of the Brethren, which is the transfiguration. Shortly after Peter makes this confession about Jesus, some disciples are called up onto a hillside and Jesus is surrounded by these two historical figures from the Old Testament. One is Elijah representing the the prophets and one is Moses representing the law And all of them are brilliant, and the disciples who were invited up there, their eyes are are burning. They can't even look. There's these three brilliant figures. And then Elijah leaves, and Moses leaves, and there's just Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus becomes the embodiment of the prophets and the law. And as the disciples are regaining their sight from being blinded by the, the brilliance of, of those three people, there's a voice from the heavens that comes down. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And what our tradition has taken that to mean is that, well, we should listen to Jesus. Jesus. When we are puzzling over what to do about something, we should, we should study the Sermon on the Mount, or we should puzzle through the parables, or if we don't know how to interpret something in the Old Testament, well, how would Jesus interpret this? Looking through the lens of what we know about Jesus, how, how would this be interpreted? when we're confused about something that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans or First Corinthians. Well, what would this mean through the eyes of Jesus? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This was a very important text for our forebears in, in the Church of the Brethren. And it's related, and in effect, to... Um, There was an author named Charles Sheldon early in the last century who uh, wrote a book about a group of Christians that decided to ask, what would Jesus do to all of their issues? Anything that came up, issues around them in society, issues within the church, well, what would Jesus do? And it's it's an interesting book. This kind of became a fad in the 90s. you remember, people would wear um, things at WWJD. Um, I may have told you this before, but I, I was in a workshop with a rabbi and he had a hat that said WWMD. And I said, is that what would Moses do? He said, no, it's what would a mensch do? Okay, those of you who aren't familiar with Yiddish, a mensch, is a, is a wise person, doesn't have to be elderly, but often is a wise person that people in the community come to because he or she always knows what the right thing is to do. A mensch, such a person. What would a mensch do? Well, then I, I saw a book um, online. Um, WWJD, don't ask what would Jesus do before you ask what did Jesus say? And that would be an important corrective because if you don't know what Jesus said when you uh, try to follow what would Jesus do you're kind of just following probably what you think in your own heart rather than being guided by by Jesus. So um, if it's if it's true that verse 8 throws us back into the beginning of the story and, and our life is, is consumed by puzzling through um, the guidance of Jesus in our lives, um, I found this, this uh, work of art. This is a church uh, that had a series apparently called The Parables in the Pandemic. I'm not quite sure how I follow. How the parables speak to the pandemic, but there's probably there's probably a way. But the parables are things to puzzle over. Um, yeah, what does it mean to have a pearl of great price that you sell everything just so you can have it, or, or to stop everything until you find a lost coin in the house? And what is the great pearl of the pearl of great price? And what is that lost coin that we we drop everything to pursue? Um, These are things that we puzzle through as we consider the parables. Our forebears um, in the Church of the Brethren would have us um, to try to embody the strange ethics of the Sermon on the Mount as a faith community, where where poor are blessed, mourners are comforted. Things that we don't often see in real life, where low is high and up is down and the first will be last, and the last will be first. What does that, what does that mean? How does that, how does that guide us? And part of looking at these things as a group is how we discover the what now following the resurrection as individuals and as a congregation. I wanted to give some examples of, of uh, people who... How they responded to the what now in their life. In in Charlottesville, Virginia, I had a parishioner named Ben Powell. Ben worked at State Farm Insurance Regional Office, where he was in charge of educating agents on policies and procedures. Ben also loved the Bible, and he felt called to educate adults on the scriptures beyond policies and procedures, uh, but that is involved with, with some scriptures. And he was called so hard at that for over 30 years of Sunday school lessons. Like a good neighbor, Ben Powell was there teaching pretty much every Sunday. Also at that congregation was a woman named Madeline Morris. She wasn't officially a deacon But boy, was she an unofficial deacon. Someone needed meals delivered, Madeline Morris. Coincidentally, also worked at State Farm as an administrative assistant, very organized. Someone needed meals delivered, Madeline Morris was in charge. She would schedule that and it would get going. Someone needed help at home because they were sick and unable to care for themselves, Madeline Morris. She would arrange that. Unofficial deacon. That's how she interpreted her what now. At the leadership team retreat that I attended, along with your leadership team, I heard about how leadership team members were being Jesus in the neighborhood and influencing other people in the name of Jesus. From my... um, Past interactions with this congregation. I uh, heard about uh, Jim Walters, who took a love of camping and hiking to care for God's creation by leading groups to remove an invasive crayfish that were hurting Arizona's native stream life. That was how he interpreted the what now following the resurrection. Congregations, I think, have a response to the resurrection. Each congregation has a calling or two or three that God brings to it. And um, that's one for you to discover. In Charlottesville, the congregation there had an abundance of retired and semi-retired fix-it guys. You had something broken, they would come and fix it. They did that for church members, but I was a part of starting a group in Charlottesville called Love Inc. or Love in the Name of Christ, is what the Inc stu- stood for. And they kept a list of people who would do certain items in churches and Whenever someone, a poor person from the community, needed something fixed, they would call the Charlottesville Church of the Brethren because they knew there were fix-it guys there. And these guys would go and provide prayer and repairs for the poor in the community. And other churches had fix-it people too, but there were also things that some people some churches had people who could do budget counseling. Some It was just very a variety of things that people would help with. That was kind of one of the callings of the Charlottesville Church of the Brethren. At Trinity, Mennonite Church, uh, they addressed a need in their own body years ago in that they had mentally challenged children who were getting older, and if you are the parent of a mentally challenged uh, person, your, your biggest fear is, what's going to happen to my child when, when I'm gone? And so they organized, and uh, first of all, they had an organization that took care of um, kids in their community who were becoming adults, and then they expanded it to offer to neighbors who had mentally challenged adults. And uh, there were people in the congregation that had the means to buy houses in the neighborhood of the church. And so now I'm, I'm thinking there's like half a city block owned by members of the Trinity Mennonite Church that are now homes for mentally challenged individuals. And uh, at, least, at least when I was at Trinity Mennonite, Uh, your chances were pretty high that the first person that you would meet outside the church building would be a mentally challenged person greeting you or handing you something and um, Yeah, it was uh, their calling that they did first out of necessity But then they offered their calling to the wider community So um, Christ is risen. What now? We discover the what now by going back to the teachings of Jesus and considering what that means for us in this day and time. I always thought what would Jesus do was a little unfair because, you know, I asked that of myself. Well, I can't walk on water. I can't heal people with a touch. Um, But what would Jesus do if he were me, with my strengths, my limitations, what would Jesus do as a member of the congregation and encourage this congregation to be about considering your strengths and what you might offer to the community? May God help us discover the what now as individuals and as a collective congregation. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.